Hello and welcome to another episode of Chris Talks Music. I'm your host Chris Hallam and today I'm speaking to the drum and bass MC turned singer-songwriter Billy Rowan, also known as the Undercover Hippie, who's on a mission to make people think, laugh and dance simultaneously. And I can attest to this because not too long ago I actually saw him perform at the Greystones in Sheffield. It was on the 9th of April, a Saturday it was. It was a really nice night an eclectic bunch of people varying in all different kinds of ages and it was just a really nice time to be had but anyway this week I'll be speaking to Bill we talked about all sorts of things but before we get into that let's listen to the song Rise and Fall it's a jaunty little number enjoy Getting fucked like a porn star Damn right that's us Any fool can tell Banging on the door at the gates of hell You do well To educate yourself Instead of getting caught up Trying to make your wealth Forget about yourself For one minute people Look around the world How bad does it need to get Before you get upset And realise that you can't rebel You think you know now what you know But you know what you see And you see what they show you So come along You think the world is set in stone Look around how many Romans you see Everything that right That's my dog barking. There might be something from Amazon. Give me a second. I've got a German <laughs> Shepherd. This is what they do. Ignore him. We'll shut the door. He'll live. It's um. I think I've got an Amazon guy coming, but uh, he hasn't knocked at the door yet. And I think, and I think once he's heard the dog, he'll come nowhere near. <laughs> Like a modern day ring. I'm waiting for a bath as well. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. No worries. We'll crack on anyway. Yeah. That's fine. Um. So yeah, tell me about undercover hippie. So I started performing as the undercover hippie uh, a long time ago. <laughs> I don't actually know how many years it is anymore. Two thousand and seven, I think, wasn't it? It might have been, it might have been before then, but yeah, around around then, um, and that was just me on my own um, playing a guitar and traveling around the world. Really, I started writing songs as a singer songwriter when I was traveling. Um, prior to that, I'd been a drum and bass MC, um, and then while I was traveling, there wasn't much call for drum and bass MCs, so I bought myself a little travel guitar and started. Kind of spitting bars over a few chords and and then that progressed into turning those into songs and um yeah so from that point i i, I started building up a catalog of songs and then i was living in barcelona for a couple of years and got it into my head that maybe i could play the festival circuit in the uk and play my new songs that i'd written yeah um so i started sending out a load of demos to festivals and and yeah, that's where it all started, really. And the band was just um, something that developed organically from playing at festivals and meeting other musicians and meeting people who I clicked with and saying, oh, why don't you get up on stage with me? And then I won't be on my own. And yeah, and then the band's kind of changed over the years. But but yeah, that's a similar. It's always been a similar story of yeah meeting people. Nice. It seems like you've kind of just created this collective of... Um troubadours almost and uh you're going out on all these musical adventures elsewhere i've seen a description 
if you um, it was think natty meets Eminem on a protest march at the Edinburgh Fringe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was um, quite amusing. So you you write like um, quite. It says that you write quite highly charged and political songs, but then I, I listened to the song Boyfriend. Um, <laughs> oh, I watched the video, which was um, yeah. rather amusing. <laughs> and it was kind of, it was nice, you know, giving like both sides of the story kind of thing. And then um, and yeah. then the guy running at you with the um, the chair in the cafe. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it's like... So, so... Boyfriend, like the, the worm on the hook. You know, boyfriend's the song that kind of lures them in, and uh, and then I bombard them with my political rants. So ah, yeah. so this is your um, <laughs> Eminem, my name is moment, and you kind <laughs> of like um, tricking people in with the um, seemingly cutesy ditty that's quite memorable, and then all of a sudden, then you go, actually, there's more to this. Yeah. Here's the substance. I mean, it was certainly that was like never a deliberate ploy, but it's been interesting seeing how that has happened in that, in, you know, with my political stuff, the kind of people who are attracted to it are already interested in politics. And that's why they they gravitate towards my music. Whereas once I wrote Boyfriend, then loads of young people who had previously had no interest in in politics or those types of things would hear that song from their mates or on Spotify and then they'd start listening to the rest of my album and then they you see them at gigs singing along to borders and knowing all the words and 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 yeah so that's quite inspiring for me the the way that it can reach out beyond my kind of obvious sphere of lefty political yeah people how's it feel being a lefty in the current world at the moment um oh god i don't know how does it feel being anyone in the current world at the moment it's just it's chaotic isn't it it's very confusing um yeah confusing i mean i'm a lot less opinionated than i used to be i think you know i used to be quite clear about what i what i thought whereas yeah. these days i'm still clear about what i i feel kind of in terms of my my morals and my ethics but in terms of everything that's going on in the world there's just this blurry mishmash of competing opinions at the moment and the left and the right kind of cross over quite a lot you know the anti-vaccine protests it's like right-wingers and left-wingers all kind of mashed together and the yeah anti-lockdown protests a similar kind of vibe yeah there's yeah, there is so much noise going on that it's quite hard to concentrate like traditionally i guess as a as a say if you were a leftist or a right wing leaning person or even a centrist usually there's the yeah. the one kind of approach leading into an election and you can kind of focus on that key topic obviously there's other yeah. topics as well but there's always that main angle but the problem yeah. that we have right now is there is just so many different things going off at the same it's like a fireworks display isn't it but they're all crap fireworks and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is though isn't it and he's just kind of going right it it literally is a bit of a shitstorm and you're like i don't know where to put my focus and what to focus on exactly so it's i mean if you want to like blame the government for their conduct and for whatever they're doing right now. I mean, you've got, like, Partygate, you've got, like, um, the kind of, the weaponizing xenophobia, you've got Brexit, then you've got things like the mass fraud that's being committed throughout the entirety of COVID, you've got the mixed messages, you've got um, yeah. the despair and lack of funding, which is actually going in a meaningful way into the NHS, and it's like, how and then then you've got stuff like rising poverty you've got child poverty you've got energy caps rising you've got cost of living increases um they tell us that unemployment is much lower but it's everybody's on really rubbish wages and zero yeah, contracts yeah. which and it's like so there's so many things that it's 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 quite hard to be pointedly political in music and focus on any one area because it's it's a lot isn't it I mean, i'd say i've probably covered pretty much 
all of the points that you just raised oh. in one in one song or another which one um, yeah <laughs> like because they, they, you know, they don't really change that much, do they? You know, like no. all these issues have been issues for quite a long time now. So one sad thing about my music is that it doesn't ever seem to stop being relevant, which is quite depressing. You know, yeah. songs that I wrote like seven years ago, people are like, oh, my God, this is so relevant to today. And I'm like, yeah, I know. That's depressing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's it is it's that's the thing i mean you kind of hope by i think you're in that unique position of wanting your music to kind of go out of date in a way rather than yeah. remaining um seamlessly like prevalent with everything else that's going on and resonating in that way it's the kind of bit where you go no i really do wish that like every point that i'm making in my songs just it does go out of date it does have a shelf life but we yeah. seem to just be going in these cycles, don't we? Just when it you does think seem you're out to of be it. That way. Yeah, you know, and like I kind of write about like how outrageous something is, and then five years later, what what we thought was outrageous then just seems like nothing, just like you know, everyday bread and butter news story. Um, yeah. Yeah, we become more desensitized to things. But... Completely. I mean, I think that's deliberate as well. You know, I think that is that is the kind of Boris Johnson Trump approach. Um, desensitize you, you know, like you're bombarded with so many things they're doing wrong that you don't have time to actually follow through on any of them. You know, like what happened to Partygate? That's that's just disappeared. Like what happened to the scandal of, you know, all them handing money to their friends for COVID like that just disappeared. We've got a war now, so nobody has to think about any of those things anymore. We can just wave flags and cheer. You yeah, know? and a war we're not really doing anything in. Um, yeah. And then, but we're helping out Ukrainians, but we're not really because the onus is passed on to everybody else that's having to put more money, more ha their hands in the pockets to pull out more money to pay for things they don't got money for. So yeah, it's just a. Uh, it seems like it's a. It's a prime example of a political shock and awe, isn't it? But. We digress. Forget all <laughs> of that rubbish in the world. We're here to talk all about right. you and all of your yeah. stuff. So you've got, this is your, is it your fourth album that's coming out this year? Let me well, have a think. Well, the fourth is undercover here. I've had three releases, let's say. So the first was an EP. The second yeah. was was an album but I didn't really intend it to be an album like when I said I went and played all the festivals I made this demo and it was kind of 10 tracks that I'd recorded yeah and, and my intention was to then do them a bit more professionally make it into an album etc but I ended up selling it at all the festivals and and it just turned into that's the album so that album stayed as it was and then the first kind of studio album I did was um, Truth and Fiction, which was okay. the last album. Okay, so you, yeah. did Monkey Suit come out before Truth and Fiction? Oh no, no, you're right. Look, look at me. I've literally just forgotten a whole album. Yeah. So, yeah. so there was demo, Monkey Suit, then Truth and Fiction. So right. yeah, three, three albums and an EP. So this is the fourth album. Yeah. Okay, and then um, so Truth and Fiction that was. 10 songs long in the end? Yeah, they've, they've all been 10 songs so far. Is there a reason? All the that? album. Uh, because it's it feels to me like the minimum amount of songs I can get away with putting on an album. <laughs> How tenacious you are. Uh, yeah. yeah. Look, it costs, it costs a lot recording albums. You know, it's like, it's, and it's hard work. Like, it's so much work to get an album done. It literally is the most stressful thing i do well you're recording the tracks multiple times and then you have to go in and ad-lib everything and then you have to it's not even the, the rec you know the recording is just like one little bit of it but you know my band is they're kind of session musicians so I'm, I'm managing all of those people and trying to arrange for everyone to be available at the same time and 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 then yeah working on the tracks with with the different musicians and raising the funds to pay them in order to do that 
um yeah and just writing the songs getting enough songs finished like yeah it takes it's not me doing so the long. music it's everything else that kind of revolves around it's all the other stuff, orbit. yeah yeah like being on tour now is is like everyone says oh my god that's so grueling you know we're playing like six six nights a week some of the weeks you know but it is like I've, I've been getting five hours sleep a night and i'm absolutely knackered but on the other hand i'm less stressed than i've been in months yeah. because i know what i've got to do every day so for me now this is the equivalent of having like a nice nine to five job where i get up in the morning i get the selfie from the gig the, the night before i post it to instagram I have some breakfast, I get my stuff sorted, we get in the van, we drive to the gig, we set up, we sound check, we play the gig, we sell some merch, we get back in the van. You know, I've got a routine when I'm on tour. Yeah. Whereas the rest yeah. of the time I get up every morning, I open my laptop and I've got a hundred tabs open and like 30 different jobs competing for attention. And then my brain gets pulled in all these different directions and it's really stressful and I'm, everything's running behind and I'm trying to keep everything on schedule and I'm trying to communicate with 20 different people and people aren't replying. And, you know, it's like a whole different uh, mindset to work like, like that. And I really dislike that type of work. And I really like Chaotic. just, yeah, I just really like the simplicity of, okay, we're on tour. This is what we've got to do. And if someone wants me to do something else, I just message back and go, no, I'm on tour. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just text back, new number, who dis? Um, yeah. <laughs> do that sometimes just for a laugh. Why not? Um, <laughs> well, that's good. It's it's, But then also it's kind of the, the reward for all of the other stuff before, it, isn't it, in absolutely. a way? You know, so it, the tour wouldn't happen if I hadn't spent all that time doing the other stuff. So, yeah. It would. So, yeah. And it's like, yeah, and that's, that's what you get out of it, though, isn't it? It's like, um, I had a quote from you saying, um, where is it? Um, there's something about that sweaty, visceral, completely in the moment experience of playing to a crowd that simply can't be replicated for a screen. And it's right, because we've all been stuck to our screens for the last, well, even more so over the last two and a bit years now, haven't we? And how yeah, did you absolutely. find lockdown in that sense? Uh, oh, it was like a bit of a roller coaster, really. Like the so we were just about to go on tour with the band um, mm -hmm. as lockdown hit. So we had to cancel the tour. And we were also in the middle of like a really intense schedule of getting the album made. So we just recorded a bunch of tracks. And then, you know, we were, had this really well-planned out schedule of I'm going to do a tour and I'm going to finish recording this and I'm going to release singles and, I'm, you know, and because I was in the headspace of just like working really hard, I would have got it all done. I probably would have burnt myself out, but I would have got it done. And then suddenly all of that got taken away and I and I had all the time in the world, you know. And yeah. And at first yeah. it was great because I, I really needed a break, you know, and I wasn't going to give myself one. So I just lay in a hammock in the garden and then the sun came out and it was a really hot summer and you know, oh, I read nice books. The sun that I, year, wasn't it? It was, it was amazing. Like, I loved it for a while. And I just completely blocked out any jobs that I should be doing or, you know, what I should be getting on with. And But then when it got to the autumn tour, because, you know, then we were all thinking, oh, it'll be over in a few months, you know. And I was like, it's cool. You know, the, the tour's all going to be rescheduled to the autumn. And, you know, there was a bit of admin. And it's like, all right, we'll reschedule it. And then autumn came around. It was like, oh, yeah that's not going to happen is it and then it started sinking in like oh i need to be getting on with stuff you know and i found it really difficult to motivate myself to finish writing songs or finish recording things without that feedback from playing gigs and being reminded oh people want me to do this people like what i do you know look there's a person who's come up to me after the gig and said please don't stop what you're doing and you go, oh, all right, I won't. And then you go home and you try and write another song, you know. It's like, how but do you uh, bottle up that energy and then take that away with you to kind of just, um, I guess, give you inspiration in those moments? And you can't, can you? Because you're so separated from that which you feed off. Yeah, it's... it all just started feeling very distant and unreal. And I started, you know, 
doubting myself and questioning questioning whether anything I was writing was any good because there's no feedback you know so I'd write something and then I'd play it to myself and then I'd be like is this crap oh, I think it's crap you yeah. know and, you and I wasn't playing with the band either yeah like if I'm playing with the band like because my band are kind of uh, session players even though you know they're all really good friends and we have amazing time on tour and stuff but but I pay them for their time so yeah like if I if I just write a song and I just like think oh I really want to just jam it with the band like I'd need to you know arrange a session and pay everyone and then get together and jam through the song and see if it sounds good and and yeah that's quite quite an expensive way of yeah like knocking out ideas you know it is but, but once it's... I did get back together with them then yeah a lot of the ideas that I'd been questioning kind of solidified and it was like oh yeah no that is good actually you know now it's now it's got the band behind it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the um, probably the most socially agreeable form of paying for gratification. So um, it, yeah. it it works yeah. in that sense, doesn't it? It's um, I think sometimes we need that as well, though, just to, for someone to kind of allay our fears or kind of shut down the doubt. And when yeah. you're kind of ruminating and dwelling on something for so long, particularly with some of the content that you put within the music, it's it's really hard to like get that same energy and vibe over a zoom call or a a phone call or FaceTime or whatever. And sometimes you just need to be in the same place and just to, just to feel that aura and kind of just bask in it a little while. I spoke with, um, uh, Westlife last year. I mean, obviously you guys are in the same lyrical, like kind of, um, (laughs) battleground here that they love to do a good old MC in, but the thing is, it's like those guys, I mean, you think of them, they're like obviously considered superstars and they travel the world and they perform to tens of thousands of people, but it kind of brought back to them how normal and how human their existences were. They had to record their last album with like pop-up studios which is basically bedroom session musicians. And they were saying how strange an experience it was, but also how much they enjoyed it at the same time. But then lockdown, obviously, because they were in the euphoric stage of the first lockdown. And then as you're recording it, as things go further along and you've got an Amazon delivery guy pressing the buzzer and you're trying to stop a kid jumping in a pond or whatever other chaos happens at home and things became hard and trying and regardless of your social or wealth status it's um i think lockdown affected us all in a variety of different ways especially performers and creatives it's because um, you thrive on being amongst the people um and although i do i'm i do consider myself quite lucky in that i live in a shared house with really nice people you know, so lockdown for me, I was locked up with a group of really nice people. And I've spoken to other people since who just had like a really difficult time because they lived on their own. And yeah, they were same. just really isolated and really depressed and really struggling like with mental health and stuff. So, yeah, I definitely appreciate how hard it was for for people who were living alone. I had a huge life change before the first lockdown and I'd come out of a particularly traumatic era of my life and then kind of got into a house and then lockdown hit and then it was like me and the dog. (laughs) Um, But in first lockdown, actually, I was with my family, um, which was weird being at home with family after not living there for 16, 17 years. And then kind of then the second and third lockdowns, do you know, the crap sequels, I was like in a house on my own during those. And that's when then everything kind of like the first lockdown was great because you can see all the pollution lifting, you can get out and do your hour of exercise. Mm. Who did an hour? We all did more. And um, then you kind of then you're left dwelling in the as the nights are getting darker and you have to stay inside. And Christmas was pretty much cancelled for the most part. And it does, it plays on you. And it is it is really difficult. So I can empathise with people that really struggled in that time period. I mean, I think it will be interesting to see, I mean, without even downplaying the impacts and the deaths of people that tragically died throughout this time period, and will continue to, because it hasn't gone. 
um, it's those people that it affected um, psychologically and mentally and that impact and then the prolonged lasting impact of that and then everything else that's kind of um, come to the fore as well in the meantime um, I mean it's not it wouldn't be interesting to see it. it's quite sad to see it but at the same time it's a morbid curiosity of sorts I mean it, it's, yeah, it's a conversation I had quite a lot because you know a lot of my community are kind of quite hippie I guess um, and a lot of the the people that I know immediately started going down the kind of COVID's a hoax conspiracy like route yeah. and my Facebook feed started filling up with that kind of stuff so I'd find myself getting into these conversations with people and you know my my reaction or my response was always when people were saying oh you know lockdown is going to create far more problems than than solve and it's just a cold and it's not going to you know it's only got a this percent blah 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 and my response was like there is truth in that there's like elements of truth in what mm-hmm. you're saying but the reality is that nobody knows like we don't know we don't know how many people it's going to kill because it's a new virus and we we don't actually have good data on how dangerous it is and we also have no way of gauging how many people are going to commit suicide, how many people are going to miss appointments for their cancer treatments, how many people, like, we don't know any of these things. So everything we do is going to be a bit of a gamble and a bit of a best guess. And politically, it would be suicide to, to say, yeah, you know, maybe 100 million people will die of COVID, but we've we've done a bit of kind of on, on the back of a napkin maths, and we reckon that's probably better than the impact on businesses and people's mental health. So we're going to go for the let everyone catch COVID and see how many die approach. Like, So obviously that was never an option, even though Boris Johnson kind of wanted to do that at the beginning. That was his his first option that he kind of said oh let's just let it rip through the country and see what happens you know that first time around (laughs) and he was just like they were like this is projected to happen this is this is a possibility and he's like well why don't we just go for it (laughs) (laughs) let's go for it really yeah yeah yeah, we'll do that and it's yeah but it's uh, yeah and uh, you know you have to be a bit of a kind of sociopath but i think you have to be a bit of a sociopath to be a politician or to be like well, you don't have to be like we definitely could have nice politicians. Jeremy Corbyn was, you know, a nice man who cares about people, but he's he's not in power because you know you've got to be kind of ruthless to, nice to scramble over the scramble over the the bodies of the rest of your compatriots and get to the top. You know, it's because he's not anyway. considered Labour though, is he? He's considered a socialist, uh, which oh, well, if you look at his history, I mean, the guy is rooted in socialist worker backgrounds, which is nothing to be scoffed at. You know, I, and the Labour I grew up around it. To be a socialist party, isn't it? You know, yeah. The Labour Party now is just absolute scumbags. They're I don't think they know scumbags. what they are. It's, it's yeah. an identity crisis. I mean, it's a political party. You know, like, they're trying to be Blairites, but they're worse. It's like worse than... It's like a... Oh, yeah, I'm really not a fan of Keir Starmer at all. I don't think Keir Starmer is a fan of Keir Starmer, to be fair. Yeah, I don't think I don't I don't I don't know what goes on. He has these moments where you think he could be he could be brilliant, and he it's like oh that's the the former legal that's the judge side coming out there that's the QC coming out to kick some ass and take some names, and then Mm. it's like he does that, and then he sits down, and then it's almost like he fades into nothingness, and then (sighs) yeah, and you know I think that just that whole approach of we need to be more Tory basically it's like you know the way we need to get into the way we're going to get back into power is by being more Tory how how Tory can we be without isolating our kind of you know left-wing supporters yeah yeah Yeah, it's it's crazy isn't it because you used to be able to look at say the conservatives or you used to be able to look at Labour Party and you'd be like those guys would never be seen dead on that side and those guys would never be seen dead on that side, gender, non-gender specific of course and 
it's you could you could look at them and go, yeah, they definitely wouldn't go over to that side. And then we see so much seamless switching now for people between different parties. It's yeah, it's almost like maybe, the allegiance... it's just, maybe it's just bringing to light what you know has kind of always been the case that power people in power there's actually really not that much divergence between them i mean in america it's very obvious you know the mm. democrats and the republicans they're both pro war they're both pro corporate um you know power they, they they really they agree on far more things than they disagree on you know yeah and i think that definitely is the case with the Labour Party as it stands now and the Conservative Party, you know, they're both going to do everything they can to appease Rupert Murdoch. They're both going to do everything they can to appease big business and, and corporate interests. And and they'll both get jobs on the side in lobby groups and, and uh, you know, on the board of corporations and stuff. Like in that sense, they're not that different and i guess the brexit brexit was a big thing you know like years and years of the tory party um impoverishing people in britain and then using immigrants as the scapegoat led to a situation where working class people working class white people in britain had swallowed this lie of you're poor because of immigrants and the tory party used that very effectively to sway working class people over to the tory party because they were an anti-immigrant party and now labor finds itself in the situation where previously you know even under tony blair with new labor it was like oh we're the party of diversity and racial equality and this that even though they were very pro rich people and pro corporations yeah whereas now the labor party finds itself in a situation where it has to be anti-immigrant and say things that are basically racist in order to try and win back its working class voter base there's no basically about it though is that uh, there's there's no basically about it. It's it's quite frustrating growing up in the country as a as a British citizen, but also a person of colour, and then seeing yeah. that around you. And then I speak to friends, and they'll be like, "I'm not interested in pol- in politics. I won't vote. It's all a fix." And I'm like, "Well, you've kind of got to make your voice heard in as little yeah. way as you can." And they're like, "Yeah, but it's it it's all rubbish. It's a waste of time." But then. For the from the same perspective, it's like when you see weaponized hate and xenophobia and all the different phobias that have kind of just become casualized. Um, how can I think it's everyone's moral, it's everyone's duty in a way to take an interest in what's going on around them, because you can't then shout down about it and complain about it across social media and whine and witter away about it. Because you've not taken the opportunity to stand up and make your voices heard in a way. Whether that's voting or whether that's protesting or whether that's putting it into the art that you create and then putting it out there as a means of going, here guys, here's the message in a means that you can find digestible and you can absorb and you can get on board with. Um, and that's kind of, I mean, that, that that's very, very omnipresent in your music, isn't it, as well? it's That is the a lot of that is the subject matter and it's about it's not about going right i'm being politicized for the sake of being i'm my music's politicized for the sake of like going these are bad and these are good and this is the way it's it's a case of going do the right thing and be a decent person and how can we let these things fly and waste our time obsessing about this other stuff which ultimately doesn't matter yeah yeah, absolutely. But um yeah, so so this new album that's coming, you haven't I don't know the name of it yet and I assume you haven't decided or released the name as of yet because it's in the progress. Yeah, the working title is Poor Little England. Um, Poor Little England, okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah, a bit of a play on Little Englanders and 
how we feel sorry for ourselves because we lost an empire. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's there's still that jingoistic attitude, though, from some people yeah. without even realising all the connotations around it. I spoke with um, Jan um, Scott Wilkinson from British, well, Sea Power um, recently, and they were formerly British Sea Power, and they dropped the British from their name and... Then you had the the defund of the BBC mob jumping on their back on social media about it. But they just wanted to kind of drop it because of the connotations that are aligned with British and how it had become um, fashionable racism and prejudice in recent years. Um, so Poor Little England is is a good, um, be a good title. That. It's apt. It's, it's right. It's... Mm. I'm just kind of like, when you said it, I was just like, yeah, that'll do. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how can you, I can't argue with that. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, that would be good. And then are we going to go for 11 songs this time? Are we going to stick with the, um, the, the, the Uh, do you know, it might even be nine. (laughs) I know, I know. I've got nine songs that are like, yeah, they're, they're, they're good to go you know a couple, some of them still need to be recorded um but they're they're basically there and and i'm booking in time with the band after this tour to to arrange them and record them and then i've got one more song that every time i try and play it with the band it's, it kind of sounds good when i play it on my own just on an acoustic guitar but every time i try and play it with the band it just sounds really cheesy and really naff it's like it's not my usual reggae kind of style it's like maybe a bit more jack johnson-y or like that kind of you know folk singer songwritery something like that yeah on a guitar it sounds good but then you put like bass and drums behind it and it's like oh that's a bit cheesy so i don't know i might put it on there just as an acoustic track you know yeah like on the Monkey Suit album, I it was much more diverse. There was some songs that were like string section and double bass and some songs that were kind of reggae and some songs that were, yeah, like violins. And so, yeah, and then Truth and Fiction was quite a consistent, like four piece, mostly reggae based yeah. style. Um, the hip hop element to it there as well hasn't it yeah 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 definitely so this one's gonna have yeah it's got another couple of tracks that are kind of really hip-hoppy um yeah one about like covid and stuff that's i think a bit of a banger and about i mean lying politicians <laughs> i just revisit that imagine but, if that um, were actually to happen well this is this is what i say in my gigs at the moment i'm like yeah so this this next song um is is about lying politicians like i i wrote it back in you know 2014 and obviously it hasn't dated very well because it's not very relevant anymore because we don't we don't have lying politicians anymore but if you just cast your mind back and try and imagine what it was like yeah (laughs) yeah i'm going to take you back to a moment in time (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a shame really and then but yeah it I'd like to hear the 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 cheesy rendition. I think I think we need a bit of cheese. We need to have a bit of fun, anyways, don't we? But this is the you mentioned the reggae element in the music. Um, what got you into reggae? Um, do you know what? I think it might have been my mum. So when I was like about thirteen, or I don't know, probably younger than that. I don't know how old it was. Maybe like twelve. I got really into the the idea of smoking weed without actually smoking any weed. Um, my mum was a bit of a hippie, and and um, and so I, you know, went to fe- festivals and stuff as a little kid. Yeah. Um, and and then so my mum came back from town one day, and she'd bought me Peter Tosh Legalize It on vinyl from a charity shop. Okay, um yeah. Just because she thought. She thought I'd really like the cover because I kept drawing like marijuana leaves and stuff. She was like, you know, look, there you go, have that. So I listened to that like on repeat and and absolutely loved it. And then I think um, I also had 
Natty Dread, uh, Bob yeah. Marley album. Um, so yeah, those two albums kind of got me into reggae. And then I started going out and doing my own record hunting and discovered Black Uhuru and Linton Kwesi Johnson. Um, I met him. Good guy. Oh yeah? Yeah, I um, did the QA for him at, um, at the Rose Theatre in Kingston. Him and um, a lady called Patience Agbaba, another British mm-hmm. poet. But um, I've got his book somewhere. Um, he's good though. He's yeah. He's he's very yeah. opinionated, but I understand why. Yeah. And yeah, and I think um, in terms of like being inspired to write political music as well, like that. Yeah, Bob Marley and Peter Tosh and Linton Kwesi Johnson. You know, they all write quite political songs. Um, and yeah, just kind of hearing that and and seeing how it affected me, you know, like that you can speak truth to power, basically, yeah. and you can do it in a way that's like this artistic thing that kind of goes out and reaches people and that anyone can do it. You know, it's like you don't you don't need to be a politician to speak to politicians. You don't need to have this be given this title or this platform or anything you you can literally just write it and and put it out there yeah absolutely it's um so it's a means of expression isn't it and engaging with people in a in a different way from the perceived norms and but i also think it's it's an opportunity to be a vehicle for pushing for much needed change without going outside and wearing a Labour shirt or a Tory shirt or a Green Party shirt or a Lib Dem one at the same time. It's just a case of going, we need to be better, we need to do better. And yeah, so in terms of the the other tracks on the upcoming album, what's your favourite of those so far? What you're loving Uh, playing live the best? It, it shifts. So we've got a single coming out, which I just got the master back today. So that's quite exciting. That that track is These Days. Um, I think it's called These Days. I can't quite decide. It, it would be better if it was called I Don't Get Out A Lot These Days, but that's just way too long for a song title. Yeah. Um, but that's what it's really about. It's like, I originally started writing it. I, I originally wrote it because I'm getting a bit older and I, you know, I don't really go out much. And, and so I was kind of writing about that. And then obviously lockdown happened and, and that became a thing for everyone. Like none of us got out very much. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a fun song. It's got like a phone call in the middle where I get a phone call from my mate, Jim, who's the character from the everybody's got a mate like that song from my truth and fiction album. Yeah. And Jim's out. Jim's out at a party and convinces me to go out. And then, oh, and we just filmed a music video for it up in Manchester, which was loads of fun. I mean, it was yeah. the most exhausting thing I think I've ever done, but it was um, it was great fun as well. <laughs> so yeah, that'll be coming out soon, and that'll be great because I haven't made a proper music video since um that boyfriend video, and that was a long time ago. When did you do that one? Oh God, I don't know. When the album came out in 2014, so oh, maybe yeah. like 2015 or something. Wow, yeah. yeah. Seven years. Yeah, and then I see all these like new bands who are just like smashing out music videos every day, you know, like every track they've got, they make a music video for and they just kind of go and do it with their mates and and I keep saying I'm going to do it and then I, you know, I never quite get around to it. I think uh, lockdown messed us up in a way because we had that really chill first period and we kind of, like you said, we, we could pause and we could take our foot off the accelerator and just relax a little bit. And then then when we came out of that and it's like, yeah, so you've been going 100 miles an hour, stop. Okay, we can do that. Now you've got to go 100 miles an hour again. And it's like, ah, I can't be bothered mm-hmm. to get up to that speed. Like, yeah. those young bands <laughs> out there, and they're probably even the same age, and it's just like, they're clearly on Adderall or some form of speed yeah. or something. Like, how do they have the energy to whack out all of this content, stay on top of all of their social media posts? 
I hate social media so much. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, it was such a brilliant, you know, when it, when social media first came out, I was, you know, I was on top of it because I studied multimedia technology at university. I was really kind of good with computers and graphics and all that stuff. So I was really on it, you know, MySpace, I like killed it on MySpace. I had all these like programs running, harvesting like friends from other people's pages and oh, adding them to me. You know, I was like, yeah, I was kind of, I built quite a big fan base just from my bedroom using like different tools and stuff. And I got offered a record deal for like money, money, money from this German label, all without ever having played a gig, all just like through MySpace. Um, but yeah, then it just turned into this horrendous, like constantly having to pretend that you're doing something. And, you know, it's like, oh, we haven't updated the, okay, quick, everybody get off your phones for a minute. Um, you know, cause I can't just take a video of you all sat looking at your phones, like do something interesting <laughs> just for five minutes so I can catch it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But young people, I think it's just second nature. They're just, they're filming everything, you know, and they they just constantly, or, or everyone is just faking everything continuously and living a fake life, which is probably more accurate. How do you think Gil Scott Heron feels now, knowing that the future, that the revolution will be televised? It's, uh... well, this is it. The revolution, will, the revolution won't be televised, but it will be live streamed, Instagrammed, like you know, I, I think there's probably a meme out there already saying that. Absolutely, yeah. it's um, yeah, it's probably and but the thing is, it's that's what the the um the different parties do now. They don't they they manipulate the use of social media as a means. So it's like when people were educating themselves on what was going on during the various lockdowns and using that to inform and reinforce the views they don't realize that a lot of the time they're being fed stuff on a platter uh, and it's before that as well and brexit and stuff like that it's where they kind of carefully curate these things that look very very amateurish and use it as a means of destabilizing people's affinity with the overall construct i guess and then yeah it's just, it's just and even wild. without even without any nefarious activity of which there is plenty yeah. just purely the algorithm the profit making mechanism behind the algorithm polarizes people yeah. and rewards anger and rewards hatred and rewards like polarizing opinions the more we argue the more money facebook make so it it helps us argue that's what it does it's designed to help us argue and to polarize us and once we start going down one rabbit hole or you know expressing an interest in one particular direction then it reinforces that and reinforces it until we're surrounded by it so much that we feel like how could another opinion possibly have any validity of course it doesn't because everyone agrees with me you know this is obviously the truth. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy because it was only a matter of years ago that we were all collectively raging about Cambridge Analytica kind of siphoning off people's data as a means of manipulating people. And then it's, yeah. and everyone was like, oh, we'll never be tricked by anything like that again. And then lo and behold, six months later, everyone's fallen in the same track and we're doing, we're becoming like, a, I don't know, like kind of like, falling into the allure of dancing recitals and choreographed theft on TikTok and stuff and then falling into that trap again and then it, it, it then the propaganda sneaks back into stuff. But then we're veering down the path of being conspiracy theorists here, so <laughs> Well, you know, if if you spend any time online it's it's quite easy to become one. I've been thinking I've been wanting to write a song about conspiracy theories for ages, but it's a really difficult one because, you know, I used to, I, I got into, you know, obviously what is a conspiracy theory, blah, blah, blah. We can have lots of conversations and there are lots of real conspiracies out there. In fact, we're continually surrounded by conspiracies. The very existence of the Tory party is basically just a daily conspiracy to, to deceive the public, you know, like, so all of that is a conspiracy. But I, what, what I mean by a conspiracy theory 
is something that ties everything together and it makes it into one unified global plot to do something nefarious with a small group of people who generally are behind the whole thing. Yeah. And whatever happens, you know, any large um, thing that happens like COVID obviously is just the mother of all big events that has has taken place because it's global and it affected every single person. Yeah. It's just yeah. inevitable that somebody is going to say, okay, well, what's who are the few people behind this enormous event and what did they have to gain and this is what's really happening you know yeah and it's it's so tempting it gives you a sense of control over the situation it gives you a a feeling that you you finally know what's going on and you know you 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 have some power to even if you can't change it you can tell people about it you can raise awareness you know you can yeah, so yeah, I see why people get sucked into them, but and I see why with so, social media, it's it's very hard to get out of that rabbit hole once you've gone down it because the algorithms now just feeding you more and more and more of the same diet, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's carefully curated um, mind control. Well, the thing is, the conspiracy theorists would say that what you're watching is the carefully curated mind control, and that's why they need to help you to wake up from, you know. And it's and they're not wrong. Like you know, propaganda. It's all propaganda. Like Western media is propaganda. Russian media is propaganda. Like you know, all the conspiracy movies you're watching are all propaganda. And and like we have to use our own intelligence to sift out because it's not like it's every 100% of everything anyone ever writes is false. There's loads of journalists trying very, very hard to, to, you know, uncover things and to write stories about things that are in the public interest to know. And, and once you go down the road of, oh, mainstream media is all lies, then you've kind of just written off the entire profession of journalism and every journalist who's ever tried to say anything useful you know yeah i mean it's 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 been interesting seeing the the vitriol directed towards journalists over the course of the last two years especially yeah, in relation yeah. just to covid alone and then the other stuff and then you're kind of criticized for not passing on an opinion on stuff but then you're told that you should be impartial but what most mm. people seem to forget is the fact that most journalists and most media outlets aren't the BBC, so they're not supposed to remain impartial. <laughs> there is an angle there. Uh, I don't know. I think it's a. I think it's a tough one. I think so many people are so angry at so many things because there's so much noise going on. Remember the crap fireworks display mm. um, that they don't know what to focus on and they don't really know where to kind of. Um, kind of go right that's the reason why i'm angry and that's the reason why i'm annoyed and we're or they're just annoyed about so many different things that they kind of misdirect the hate and the fury and the annoyance at something completely irrelevant at someone that maybe is just kind of going well this is the news and they're like why that's not the news blah 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 and it's like well actually it's just like this is kind of come out and we just we're just reporting it we're just really messengers for what's happened and yeah it's i think we're just in like this like kind of like systemic cycle of vitriol which is fair enough people are angry they need to vent somehow don't they so it's just as long as it doesn't get too personal towards say journalists or people trying to do it really that's when it becomes wrong but um yeah, yeah. but moving on from that yeah. um so the tour so far, you said like, is it four dates you've done so far? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. And then, what can we expect you to bring to Sheffield? Well, um, lots of high energy vibes. Um, who have we got supporting us in Sheffield? I'm not not actually. Oh, hang on. Yes, I do know. State of Satter. Okay. Who are a band from Leeds, reggae band from Leeds. They're really good. Um, 
but yeah you know like the the gigs so far have been so high energy and i think sheffield's um going to be sold out uh, it's looking like it's going to be a sellout so i reckon it will be a really good show it'll, it's the it's this the first show of our northern leg i think that looks like it's going to sell out so so yeah we're pretty excited for that gig yeah that'll be decent that'll be decent um it's a nice uh, have you have you been performed in sheffield before we have yeah a few times we performed at yellow arch studios yes at a place. yeah and oh, what did we perform at some other kind of like bigger venue but i can't remember what it was called we're playing at Greystones this time, is that right? Yeah, yeah. you're at the Greystones. This nice place, the Greystones. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a good spot there. Yeah, there's a there's a, been quite a few decent bands that I've spoken to that have either performed there already, or a decent acts even, or they're going to be performing there in the coming weeks. Like there's a really cool Australian duo. These two sisters, uh, they're called Charm of Finishes, and mm-hmm. they're like. 19 and 22 respectively and when you listen to like their music i mean they sound so they're kind of like a bit first aid kit and sufjan stevens um and they just have this lovely folk element to their music but they they speak about some really interesting and deep things and i think sometimes people underestimate the younger folks in terms of the capacity of what they're able to write about so be interesting to see them i think um i think you're like you said you high energy vibes i think that that was it that was it in the nutshell wasn't it you need that neon lights outside high energy vibes and then some like obviously the the marijuana neon lights as well <laughs> just to kind of give a call back to your youth when you were channeling the or you were living vicariously through the the reggae music so you didn't have to indulge in um such acts but um yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be great. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think it's going to be a really good gig. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Nice. Well, I'm going to. You coming down? Yeah. So it's the it's the Saturday, isn't it? Yeah, I'm going to try to actually playing football on the Sunday. You know, because I'm a blokey bloke. We got to do that. Kick a ball about. Um, but yes. Well, that's... Um, Okay, that's all right. We've, we've got to play another gig the next day and, and the day after that and the day oh, after no. that and the day after that. Yeah, you yeah. You know, so... get a nice early night. We'll finish by 11 o'clock. We'll be in bed by 12. Ah, oh, yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's not like I'm going to watch Match of the Day or anything. I can't be bothered. Um, I will, to be honest, I'll probably be down there anyway. So I will yeah. try my best to get down on the night. I'd, I would like to um, come down. And see, I've got there's another gig the night before as well that I'm supposed to go to, but um, we'll right. see if I can make that one. Because otherwise, I think I've got like there's like four gigs this week that I've been asked to go to, so I'm going to pick them yeah. wisely. So I'll I'll see if I can. Saturday sounds like a good day for me, so yeah. we'll try yeah, and get yeah. down for that. But I'd love to. I'd like to say thank right. you so much for your time, Billy. It's it's been a pleasure. No, thanks for having me on. It's been yeah, it's been really nice chatting. Yeah, I like to just chat about all sorts, really, and just see where it goes. And yeah, it's just a bit nicer, isn't it? It gets us away from the monotony of kind of going, so who are your five biggest influences and how would you like to see your music change the world and stuff like that? Um, so basically, once once we get off this call now, I've got to go and do two other interviews that have been like they're written interviews. And that's oh, exactly okay. what they are. You oh, know, really? what record was the biggest influence? Were the, and I'm like, oh, I don't know, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> Tell us the, the, yeah. What's what's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you on tour? It's like, oh, well, there was this one time where my keyboard player like threw an M M&M and M, and my drummer caught it in his mouth, and we still talk about it to this day. You know, it's like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's like American Pie, this one time at Bank. Jeez, yeah. people really so do anyway. questions like that. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I, they're all I I mean, they're all the same, but like different enough that you can't just copy and paste it from the last one. Ah, yeah, yeah they've slightly changed it, and you're like, ah, oh, bugger, I could have could have done the copy and paste on these ones. Yeah, but that's a that's a ball ache, isn't it? It's um, 
I, th- I think we all have an idea of questions that we might think of asking, and I, w- I do ask questions and then other general interest ones, but for me, I think it's so much nicer when it's a conversation. I think you could just get so much more out of it organically. Yeah, well, then you're, you know, you're meeting the person rather than just the, the kind of pre-made responses. And even if you're not like saying pre-made responses, if you've had to answer that question 10 times before, then you're just inevitably going to launch into the same response you gave the last nine times aren't you you know yeah absolutely well i do hope that you managed to get that conspiracy theory song written um i'll be interested to hear it and when the album does come yeah, out do make sure you let us know I'd, uh, i'll give it a listen yeah the main thing is i, I want to do it in a way that doesn't sound like i'm belittling all of the because tons of my fans are you know really into conspiracy theories partly because of me because yeah. they started listening to my music and and realized that you know everything's not as it seems we're being lied to like you need to try and find the truth and you need to kind of figure out who holds the power and so they've listened to my music and then gone on to try and figure out what's going on in the world and ended up going down that rabbit hole which I've done myself in the past so I I get it so so I want to write a song that kind of doesn't belittle doesn't sound like i'm patronizing or belittling people for for doing that because it's a perfectly legitimate reasonable thing to do you know well conspiracy theories turned into a slur hasn't it and and and, but the thing is it isn't a slur really it shouldn't be it's it's like you said people trying to seek truth and there are multiple truths in any one situation it's just finding a truth that they feel they can align with so um when we say conspiracy theory it's not as kind of going ah look at you you're all crazy lunatics tapping away on your keyboards or delving into youtube videos i just think it's people just trying to find um a means of understanding what's going on around them and sometimes they happen on yeah Sometimes we get the facts or we find facts that we align with and sometimes we may be slightly misguided. I mean, while everyone else spends their time looking up supposed or purported conspiracy theories online, I'm watching The Eagles Hotel California like backwards and then just amazed at the fact that it goes, here's to my sweet Satan. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I'm like then, then that's a conspiracy theory, isn't it? Oh, they... Uh, are they satanists and then it's just just me just being an idiot messing around with free time really it's <laughs> i think it's all harmless really as long as you don't go around shouting i think people's opinions are very important and the more people's opinions that differ so long as they don't shut other people down and belittle them as a result i think the world's a better place for it yeah definitely be idiots if we didn't ask questions wouldn't we but yeah yeah yeah. I'm going to love you and leave you. Thank you so much for your time. And yeah. best of luck okay. with your tour. And hopefully, I'll see you on the Saturday. All right. Nice All right. one, Chris. You take care, Billy. See you later. Bye, mate. You too. Bye, I'd like to thank Billy for taking the time to sit down and have a chat with me. It was wonderful. It's really interesting, Jen. And Billy and his band, they've performed at some of the UK's best festivals as well, like including the likes of Glastonbury. Boomtown Fair, Green Man and the Secret Garden Party as well as going overseas to Europe as well but look out for his latest album which will be coming out later on this year so that should be a bit of a treat but in the meantime I'd like to thank you for listening and we're going to bring this podcast to a close with the song These Days Enjoy Sitting here on my eyes Yeah, you all know what I mean when I say I don't get out of love I don't get out of love These days You all know what I mean when I say I don't get out of love I don't get out of love 
white man, he's again a creaky and a finger that might just ease into the soul, forget the fire alive. Watch a bit of telly and then call it a night. Well, I'm not saying that my partying days are done. I still occasionally mash up the rave. It's fun to get messy for a couple of days, but I'm paying for it later in a million ways. Here, yeah, so you all know what I mean when I say. Just a kid who likes playing So get Jim back on the phone